Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we just thank you for this bright new day. We just thank you for the possibilities that lie in store today, possibilities to connect um, that all around us, you are at work, that you're in our midst, that your spirit is, is working wonders, setting people free, um, giving courage where there was, where was sadness and darkness. And most of all, Father, help us to, to be able to, to um, join you in that work today, that we might find um, freedom for ourselves and some of our anxieties. And more than that, that our kids might be able to be set free uh, for a life of impact. In your name, amen. Um, for some of you that aren't that familiar with Project Patch, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context for where we're at, just so you know that our area of the country is beautiful too. This is the entryway to our program. So Garden Valley, Idaho is, is in the mountains of Idaho, beautiful place. We barely have cell phone coverage. How many of you have ever like wished for barely having cell phone coverage? <laughs> yeah, that's what we have. Um, so beautiful, beautiful place. The rainbow is not always there. So when you come to visit us at Patch, don't look for the rainbow, look for the sign. Uh, but it's a beautiful place. That field that we have, you can't quite see it, but a hundred acres of our property is, is in a big field and it's covered in elk a lot of the year. Just an amazingly beautiful place. Um, that's our center building is our cafeteria. This is the girls dorm. That's our boys dorm. What Tom Sanford did when he built our place was he wanted to give a place that hurting kids felt dignity and, and sure. You know, not a place that felt like a jail with walls and fences and, and staff with their arms crossed. And so he tried to create a real strong relationship environment. I've talked about the swings that we have. We have one swing right here. There's actually a new one right there. And on the boys' dorm, you can't quite see it. There's a swing right there and there's a new one right there. And so that's that shoulder to shoulder. Um, time. This lawn area is a place where the kids and staff interact, just play, hang out. And this is actually taken from the dunk court, so a place where they can go play basketball, dunk the basketball, have a, have a good time with that. Um, today we're getting into um, video game addiction. And I don't know about you guys, but there's probably, the more parents I talk to, video games and makeup tend to be the two things that parents fight about the most. You're not going out in that is a comment, you know, that creates all sorts of battles. And then video games create an equal amount of battles. Um, so do piano lessons, sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe three different things that create battles in homes. Um, the context that we're still talking about from yesterday is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you look at it, Satan doesn't care how he gets people into zombie mode. We're talking about the whole brain engagement, and he doesn't care how he does it in order for us to stop using certain parts of our brain and overemphasize other parts of the brain. He doesn't care what kind of addiction we're in. Does that make sense? And so when you've got a kid at this age, this kid is 14, you can picture any of your kids down here. This is 10 years old, 20, 30, going up there. At any of those ages, our kids can really get trapped into habits. And what I find interesting is that if you can get a 14, 15 year old to drop out of school, you know, and quit in school, how does that impact the rest of their lifetime? Everything gets harder, right? One of our requirements for staff at, at Project Patch, the state licensing requirement is that you have to have a high school diploma or equivalency. And we had this great guy named Jerry who wanted to come work for us as a part-time maintenance guy. And Jerry's retired but he wanted to work at Patch, and so we had him come in, and we do the interview times, and we do a volunteer, four days of volunteering, so we, they get a, a view of what our program is, and we get to see what they're doing. Um, so Jerry spent four days with us. We're ready to hire him until we discovered that he didn't have a high school diploma. Jerry was, at this point, 67 years old, and guess what he spent the next year doing? 
getting his equivalency. Um, and he'd study <laughs> and study and study, and each time he passed a test, he'd come down and celebrate with the kids, and then we threw him a big graduation party when he finished, and he's working for Patch now. Um, but if you think about that, you know, the impacts of these decisions down here have a huge effect. We talked about it from a purity standpoint, but just from a lifestyle, how I live my life, how I do relationships, some of those habits get established so early, so young. And so today when we're thinking about video games, what is it that's being robbed from our kids? And I think we'll find principles that, that apply to all sorts of things. Um, inter um, video game risks, I'm not one that's going to come in and do a whole bunch of the, the video game stuff. There's a lot of other people speaking about the types of things that are going on in video games, but I just want to give you kind of a highlight. I think as a whole, most of us understand that video games could be fun, but also have a really dark shadow side. And so just want to talk through that a little bit. What they find, um, this is through a couple different websites, is that about 9% of the kids that are into video games are pathologically or clinically addicted. What does pathologically or clinically addicted mean? It means that if you tell them stop it, they really can't. For them to stop playing video games, they're probably going to have some sort of withdrawal symptoms. They're going to have irritability, possibly sleep loss, possibly appetite issues. They're going to have attention problems from that. Uh, maybe even some headaches, um, appetite problems, a number of, of issues. So if you have someone that's been on um, cigarettes and you tell them to, to stop, how easy is that? There's a lot going on, right? But here's the problem with video games. For some reason, because us, most of us as adults can stop, it just seems like an easy thing to quit. And so when you say pathologically or, or, or clinically addicted, recognize that that means that, that about 9% of the kids would probably like to quit even and can't. Can't quit. 23% um, of the youth say they are addicted, which is an interesting self-disclosure, and 44% say their friends are addicted. I kind of like that statistic. Which one do you think is right? <laughs> You know, and I honestly, getting back to this, is that when we have a kid that comes into Project Patch that's been a smoker, we're pretty sensitive to that. You know, realizing that they've had to come to our, our youth program, they've had to quit smoking cold turkey, um, but we also understand that this kid's going to be going through some sort of struggles with that. It's going to be a, they're going to have, um, it's just going to be hard. And so we get a little more sensitivity to that. Now when we get kids into our program, we've got kids that have been playing video games for years, that have definite addictions going on that are wrapped into that cycle of video games, possibly playing hours and hours and hours a day. They come to our program, they have no electronic devices, and for most of us, we have a hard time being compassionate for those kids. You know, we have a hard time recognizing that there's something going on. Um, for Even for some of you that have kids that aren't really into video games, you take them backpacking for a weekend, and you're like, wow, look at the beautiful lake, and they're saying, oh, I wish I had my, you know, video game controller, and it's like, stop it. You know, that's what we want to say as parents, right? But if they are clinically addicted, or if they have some sort of compulsion at that level, it's, it's hard. Um, a good resource, just I want to plug it in again, is pluggedin.com. It's not perfect. It's focused on the family's attempt at giving some perspective for parents on, on what's in media stuff. And so there's uh, movies, music, and video game reviews that they do. And mostly what they're trying to identify is the themes inside those, those things. They're looking at any kind of sexual content, any kind of drug and alcohol content, any kind of homosexuality, violence, that sort of stuff. And so when you looked at a, how many of you have looked at Plugged In before? 
Okay, so a lot of you have seen it. It's just a, it's a helpful resource that might not, their ratings might not exactly coincide with your family's values. Does that make sense? And so if you have a game, like one of the dancing games that they say is a lot of fun, your family might be different from that. But as a whole, it gives you insight. It gives you kind of a peek behind without having to watch it. Here's the thing to be careful for is if you say to your kid, you can't play this game because there's um, sexual things in it, there's um, even incest in there, there's homosexuality, there's drunkenness, um, there's a bunch of violence, um, there's even the scene in which this guy gets hung from his hair and gets chopped down. You can't watch that. What's your kid going to say to you possibly, especially if they're really you know, a sharp kid? They'll probably say, well, I'm sorry, I can't read my Bible either then. Honestly, they'll, if you throw it at them in a, in a way, they'll throw it back at you. And, and what we really prepare as a parent is that the Bible does have a lot of stuff in it that, that you, if it was just a book or a movie that your kids are going to watch, that you probably wouldn't be letting them watch it. You know, honestly. But here's the thing is that the Bible shows the effects of that. It doesn't glorify it. The Bible's purpose is, is it gives you a glimpse into human life, and human life is gross, but God's beauty can change those things. But it's, it's not glorifying it. The difference is the video games are glorifying those things. You know, they're increasing the activity in those things rather than decreasing the activity in those things. No one's going to read the Bible and say, I want to be more, you know, violent or whatever. That's not the direction it takes you. I want to, I want to have multiple wives. That's not what the Bible's going to, you know, encourage you into. So Plugged In is a, is a helpful resource. Part of what I'm pressing on this seminar, though, is that there are games that are, are totally out of touch, inappropriate from so many different realms, and I think as parents we kind of know what those are. But when you look at video game addiction, it doesn't necessarily have to be a violent or an inappropriate game for people to, to get into the point that it's life and relationship interfering. And in a way, that's, that's a simple way of looking at addiction. Is this becoming life interfering, as in my life style, my life future, and is it interfering with my relationships? Does, does that make sense as a, as a real easy way of looking at, at addiction? So what makes video games addictive? This is where I should have you put your heads down so you don't look at anyone, but has anyone ever been to a casino? Oh, good. There's some honesty at Michigan camp meeting. Um, what is the purpose of a casino? To take all your money, right? The goal, the reason for having a casino, why people build it is to take your money. It's an engineered space to take your money. It's not that they just designed it as in we like those colors, it's an engineered space. And so for some of you that are pretending that you've never been to a casino, that's a picture of one. Um, <laughs> But honestly, that's an unusual casino because that one has a straight walkway down the center. Most casinos, well, have you ever been to a grocery store and tried to, tried to find the milk? Where do you have to go? Is it convenient? No. In, grocery stores have engineered their milk placement, so you have to wander through everything to get there, right? And then the other thing that you need, typically when you're going to quickly grocery shopping, you need like one or two things, right? Do they put those conveniently together? No, because they make you wander on purpose. They know which things people buy at the same time and they spread them apart so that you impulse buy. But an engineered environment to cause you to spend money is, is a casino. Here's the interesting thing is that what do you not see in a casino? 
clock. You don't see a clock, you don't see outside. Here's another thing, it's an engineered environment to take your money. What do you not see in a casino? You don't see money. Interesting, isn't it? What do you see instead of money at a casino? Chips. Why do you think they use chips instead of money? Disconnect. Because people will spend more when they're putting chips down than if they were putting cash down. Um, they've actually learned that, that people will spend more if they use a swiping mechanism, right? I'm going to get bonus points, and so the people are swiping stuff now. And here's the advantage of swiping stuff is that if you swipe, what information are they getting? Everything, right? And so they know what you're doing, when you're doing it, when you quit, when you start again. They control that stuff. And it's an engineered environment to do what? Take your money. Take your money. It's a highly engineered environment. What I'd like us to think about is that video games are an engineered environment to keep you playing. It's a highly engineered environment for that. It's probably the most sophisticated that I've ever um, explored. Way more sophisticated than even like something that we're used to is a book. How many of you have finished reading a chapter of a book and it said, go to bed, put the book down? <laughs> or do they do something like, and then the door started to creak open? They're like, oh, I can't go to bed now. I need to read a little bit more. That's how authors try to keep you engaged, right? Authors try to keep you reading. But video games are designed in lots of interesting ways just to, just to keep that engagement. So honestly, when you tell your kids, um, turn it off, realize that the game is designed by nature to make that next to, I wouldn't say next to, to make that really difficult. Does, does that make sense? So the game's purpose is is countering your purpose. So originally, I'm a child of the 80s, and so when I was starting um, seeing video games, it was at um, like pizza parlors. Do you remember that when you had video games there? You had Centipede, you had Pac-Man, you had um, Donkey Kong, you know, those sorts of video games. Do you remember the goal for those? High score, three initials. Remember that? Your three initials at the top were a really big deal, and you got really frustrated if anyone ever unplugged the machine. <laughs> and your way of, of playing next, remember you'd put your quarter on the machine at the bottom of the screen? That was like the sign of, I've got next in line. Yeah, some of you are like, I don't remember that. <laughs> Sorry, you guys, I'm, I'm not that old. But that was the world of, of video games. High score does play a role, but most of the video games kids are playing right now Score is not even that big of a deal. That's just not one of the things that they're, they're into. Most of the kids just aren't doing the three initials and some of those kind of things. Um, beating the game is, is an interesting concept, is that think about some of the games that the kids are playing now are more like a book. They're more like a movie, and they're working their way through that storyline. And so their idea is, I'm going to finish that, that story. So there's almost like chapters to it, and as they finish one thing, they get another, they get another, and then they finish that that um, game. Sometimes they'll go back and play it as a different character. Sometimes they'll play it again, but a lot of times they move on to another game and wait for the sequel to come out. And so beating the game is, is more like a novel, more like a movie that they're experiencing. Role-playing is a big part of a lot of the games now. You're not necessarily being yourself, but you have an avatar. You have a character that you've developed. Um, especially the multiplayer online games is that each person has a role and a character and that's, that's who they assume. 
it's kind of interesting. Asia tends to lead the North America when it comes to some of the, the video game addiction type stuff. And what you're seeing in, in some of the Asian countries is people are starting to change their phys human physicality to match their avatars. You know, where if you've ever played like um, the Wii, you remember the Wii with the, with the you can move and all that stuff? In those cases, most people were trying to make their avatars look like them, but you're starting to see the opposite is I'd like to look more like my, my avatar. So huge amounts of role playing in which someone's a wizard, someone's a this, someone's a that. Um, there are occult type things that start coming into play, especially on a lot of the role playing, um, but that, that, that idea is, is really big. Um, and it really kind of spills out. You start seeing, at least in the Portland, Oregon area, the cosplay, which is the dressing up as the characters from movies and video games. They have big um, comic con type, type things, and, and that's really popular. Um, you see people doing, um, I forget what it's called, where they do all these fake battles in the parks and some of those kind of things, and it's all this, this role playing. In that case, it's moved from video games into real life, but, but the role playing is a, a big deal. And, and think about it from a, a, especially with your teens, is that your teen years, and we'll study it tomorrow a little bit deeper, your teen years are about who am I? You know, am I comfortable being me? And they spend a lot of time focused on, you know, experimenting with, with different roles. Another one is discovery. What we find is that over time, they've, they've done these tests of looking at the circumference of how far kids are able to play from the house. And did you realize from the 1970s, it's shrunk dramatically because parents are feeling afraid. Ironically, there's been a book, um, kind of a crazy book, but it's kind of fun to read. It's called um, Free Range Kids. I don't know if anyone's read Free Range Kids. The question is, why do we um, free our chickens but cage our kids? And so that's kind of what it's exploring. But they took a look at it, and what they discovered is that violent crime toward kids is lower now than it was in the 1970s, statistically. Isn't that crazy to think about? Does it feel that way? No, it doesn't feel that way because now we're so connected and, you know, there's more people now, but, but statistically, violent crime's lower, but kids' range of play has gotten smaller. And so for a lot of kids, that idea of, I want to have discovery, I want to have exploration, they can't do that in real life. You know, there's parents that are afraid of letting their kids wander, and, and so because of that, their place of wandering and discovery is online. And if you haven't seen some of these worlds that are online, they are some amazing places that have been created online. Really interesting lands, um, landscapes, places to climb, things to do. And so these, these kids are free to explore. And, and that's a fun thing. It's an attractive thing for kids. Ironically, when we do our family experience, we have people, the whole family get together and talk to their values, things that each one of them value. And nearly every family experience you have... Um, a boy or a girl that, that is, I want to have discovery. One of the families that we were dealing with a while back, they were um, a great family of scholastics, except for one boy who loved discovery. And so for everyone in the family, if you were say you have a perfect rainy Sunday, what do you want to do? Read and watch movies. What did this boy want to do? Splash in the puddles, <laughs> you know, go off and explore. And they just did not get him. You know, they didn't understand him, and, and honestly, this boy was really into video games because that was something that they got, and he'd revert to discovery online. Um, relationships. A lot of the games now have, especially the multiplayer online games, they have headphones that they're playing with. They're talking to friends. And you might say, you know, what, are they real friends? Well, they don't necessarily have full disclosure about each other, 
They might not know ages, they might not know all these kind of things, but they spend significant time together accomplishing stuff. They show a lot of trust for each other, they show a lot of teamwork, they have a lot of dependence. And so some of these groups that have been playing games together have been doing it for years um, of, of being together. At Washington camp meeting, I had a dad that interrupted one of my, my talks about this, this section, and what he shared was, was staggering, and his wife stared at him saying, I can't believe you're talking in public, because he was a real quiet guy. And what he shared is that he connected with his college roommates over playing a World of Warcraft game. Is that that was how they said, you know, we're, we've moved away from each other, let's just have some guy time, and so they started playing World of Warcraft together, and that sucked him into that video game. And those guys started playing, he'd play with those guys, he'd play with other people, but what started off as a relationship ended up getting really, really messy. And what he said was that when his boys hit preteen age and they started to try to learn the game so that they could build a relationship with their dad, that's when he quit because he realized that they wanted in and their only way to get into him at that point was through a video game and, and, he, and he decided to break that. Um, but relationships, you know, there's a hunger for relationships. And honestly, for us guys, relationships and finding deep friendships can be really, really hard. And so this video game world offers that. We had a boy that came into our youth ranch that um, was our first guy that I, I just distinctly remember his story because he said, I didn't get to say goodbye to my friends, which is a common thing for our kids coming to our program. The parents don't announce you're going to patch because a lot of times the kids would run away or do something um, stupid about it. And so this boy was like the typical kids. His parents grabbed him, brought him to Patch, and he said, I didn't get to say goodbye to my friends. And so we started, you know, so what are your friends like? And what he started to talk to me about was video games. And it's like, no, tell me about your friends, not your video games. And what was the reality is he had no friends that were in this world, you know, the physical world. All of it was, was video game friends, but they were significant to him. You know, and, and realizing that he was really mourning those kids. And here's what makes it hard about those relationships is if you are trying to break free from a game and maybe even get some sleep and your friends are going on an adventure and they're going to go conquer something together and they need you, what are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to pressure you. They're going to call you up. They're going to text you. They're going to do stuff. Or, you know, honestly, most kids feel really scared about missing out. You know, and so all their friends are doing something and they're missing out on that. And that, that leaves them feeling, feeling really vulnerable. So this relationship side, to me, I see that, how would you describe it? This false relationship in a way, because I don't think it's a true deep relationship, but that, that false relationship is going to continue to grow in gaming, um, especially as the virtual side continues to grow. So I mentioned earlier beating the game. Also, there's games with no end. Uh, Minecraft. When does Minecraft end? Yeah, when you turn it off. And as a parent, you're like, please <laughs> let Minecraft explode. I mean, it's one of those things that there's no end in sight. It just keeps going and going and going. As it builds, it just, it just keeps going. And so what's interesting to me is that as you look at this list, um, there's huge insight into our kids depending on what games they're compulsively or addictively playing. And so sometimes just sitting down and saying, you know, you seem to really be enjoying this game a lot. Can you tell me about it? You know, or going online and figuring out, is it a game with a lot of discovery? Is it a game with a lot of role play? Is it a game in which you are beating it? You know, or is it this no end thing where you're just continually, or maybe a combination of those? Having that insight gives you a little clue into what your kid's hungry for. 
Does that make sense? And so they're going to the substitution, but what you're going to work on is, okay, maybe they need a little bit more discovery or maybe there's a way that I can really focus on getting them, you know, real world relationships, getting them in a class, getting them in a camp, getting them into something that would, would fuel that. Um, physiological, there's a lot of things going on physiological. I can't even say that word. That's why I don't talk about this stuff much. Physiologically and dopamine. Um, your brain is awesome, but it's really not that smart. And so if something flashes on the screen and terrifies you, your brain is going to go into the same terror response, the same um, release of, of um, endorphins and adrenaline and all those sorts of things as if it was real life. And so if I jumped at you with a knife, and that would scare you, right? I hope so. <laughs> but in the video game, when a knife is coming slashing at the person, they're going to have their brains going to think, this is real. And the brain is going to release stuff. Um, I'm a little afraid about the dopamine studies, to be honest, is because dopamine isn't totally understood yet. For some of you, if you ate a really good meal and let out a really good burp, there would be dopamine released. Um, hug, beautiful music, a smile of a friend. You know, those are dopamine releasers, typically done at an appropriate level of dopamine. What's interesting with these engineered environments is that they've learned how to provided in, in pretty intense dosages. And that's the concern about it. But at the same time, be careful because we just don't know quite enough about it. Dopamine isn't necessarily bad, but dopamine dependence or dopamine chasing, if that makes any sense, that's, that's the type of stuff that I'm concerned about. And physiologically, what they're showing from the front brain development is that if you have a bunch of adrenaline flowing all the time, that may actually suppress frontal lobe development. And so when you look at some of the books, one of the books that, that I think is in a recommended reading list is Change Your Brain, Change Your Life Before 25. So Dr. Daniel Amen wrote the Change Your Brain, Change Your Life book. This is a teen version from a guy named Jesse Payne, who is his son-in-law. Jesse's done training with Patch, fantastic stuff, but what they're doing is spec scans and showing that, that for kids that have had trauma, that's a lot of adrenaline released. And for kids that are in the video game trauma, same thing happens. Their frontal lobe is just stimulated and they just aren't getting the, the development that they need. So there are some scientific things, lots of scientific things that are saying this is scary. You know, this is not a good thing. So if anything, avoid the violent games. Avoid any kind of slashing scare type game. Um, just because I think brain-wise, those, those are, are really, really problematic. Any questions on this before we move on? Yes, please. Yeah. You know, what I'd look at on the no end games is, is break it down a little bit more for the activity that they're doing. Um, Minecraft is one that is hard for me to understand because different kids play it for different reasons. You know, for some of them, they just love building things um, and that's their challenge. They just love that activity, but there's almost a rhythmic nature of how they start building that, that brings them the soothing. And so I'd probably at that point just observe how they're playing and, and, and look for that. And then look for chances for just doing the real world building stuff. Um, RC, buying an RC airplane and building it and flying it together. Something that is that same gut, but has an impact. Does, does that make sense? Something that they can look at and say, wow, so um, chance to do woodworking, hands-on carving, depending on the age of the kid. Um, kids love being in w workshops. You know, my daughters, my son just love, if I'm trying to build something, they love being down there. And so that's the push that, that I recommend. Um, some of the other no-end games, um, Candyland Crush, <laughs> you know, 
I'm not sure what the point is. Yeah, you guys are nudging each other. Please be kind to each other at camp meeting. Um, I don't know, you know, if a kid that, that's probably more an adult game of, of why people get into that. Some of that's just a boredom, a tedium. It's just an impulse. I don't, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do right now or I've got a minute. So they just start playing and it, and it fills that time. So it's a time filler. And so in those kind of situations, I, I think that there's other time fillers like, you know, what, I, what I've seen parents that are, are, are doing some neat work with their kids that struggle with these time filler type things is that they'll fill their house purposefully with little activities, handheld activities, um, Rubik's cubes, little puzzles, little things that require some sort of manipulation. I don't know if you've seen those maze globe type things, you know, where you turn it and, and follow the path. They're not necessarily like fidget spinners, but they're things that engage, engage activity in, in mind and make it a little easier for the kids to instead of turning to the phone, they they're, have something else to do. That would be great, I'll hunt for one, but I don't have one immediately, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, books or resources on, on some of the specific things of this screen, I don't, I don't have. But I'll hunt for one or you can write one. <laughs> okay, let's move on with this. Here's some of the key things that, I, that we see from kids is that there's a huge loss of time Kids will start playing and time just disappears. And so a lot of the kids that are in video game addiction just report a, a sense of loss of control of time. They, they don't know everything's running behind. Does that make sense? But at the same time, they're, they're wasting a, a bunch of time. When they account for what they did in a day, they have a hard time really feeling like they accomplished anything. And so that's really that, that loss of impact. What's frustrating about video games is that they're unrelenting. And so if a kid accomplishes something, what does a video game do? Raises the bar, right? Makes it harder. Raises it so they really don't have that satisfaction of, I did something. And they really have nothing to point at it. You know, and for a kid that's really great at video games, there's someone else that's even better. And so the push is constantly there. What you hear now is that there's a lot of kids that play video games that will also spend time on YouTube watching video games. I don't know if any of your kids do that. Yeah, so they're watching video games, not just playing them, but they're watching someone else play and trying to learn from that and, and all those kind of things. But it's an unrelenting thing where it just feels like, um, like you haven't accomplished much. I mean, binge watching Netflix, you know, a lot of people do that. That's similar where it's like, I just spent how much time doing what? And you just feel, you feel kind of gross from it. So brain system, really quick. There's a lot of people that believe that video games are the best thing for brains. They think that more classes should be taught in video game mode, a lot of those sorts of things. Video games involve pretty much all the parts of the brain. When you see people playing video games when they're doing the, the scans with their brains, all of it's lighting up, which gives the appearance of it being a full brain activity. And so they're doing some of the physical stuff. They're using a ton of memory. Um, some of these video games, they're doing some emotions with it. There's a lot of feeling done, and then they're using a lot of logical problem solving. But here's the push that, that I really challenge people with, is, is especially when people say that video games increase creativity, I'm not buying it. For me to be successful in a video game, if the video game creator made it so that I have to go this way, and then I have to go this way, and this way twice, and then this way once, and this way for me to win, what is my brain doing to figure that out? Trial and error logic, right? Am I showing creativity when I figure it out? What it actually at the end of the day is that you're conforming to the pattern 
of the video game maker. It's a conforming brain activity rather than a creative brain activity. And that doesn't mean that conforming activities are, are wrong. For you to play a piece of music that's written out, what kind of activity is that? In a sense, it's a conforming activity, but it's even different than the video game because you do have, have a chance to take it into other places and your mind does different things with it. Does, does that make sense? Um, but it is, it's in a sense, a conforming activity. And we do conforming activities. Math is what? A conforming activity. But here's the thing is that most people that are playing video games think that they're being creative or think that they're being problem solving and aren't recognizing that the only way that they're going to succeed in that game is to alter their brain to the game maker's requirements. Um, and kids say, oh, what about, what about um, Minecraft? You know, that's total creative. Are there things that are rewarded in Minecraft and things that aren't rewarded? Yeah, there's plenty of things that aren't rewarded in Minecraft and that keeps us into that mindset that, yeah, this is not, this is, don't kid yourself that this is, this is creative creativity. What you're doing is, is a conforming activity. And as long as we recognize that, there is room for that, but we can't kid ourselves. Can't kid ourselves about it. Loss of connection. What's interesting, even in the relationship-based video games, is that those have a sense that I'm fulfilling relationship needs, but in reality, the relationships are built around um, me getting further in the game. They're, they're not, they have teamwork, but the teamwork is even based on I have my needs, and so that's why I'm involved with it. In a sense, it's a consumer friendship, which is, which is a pattern we actually don't want to see repeated in our kids. We don't want them using people or connecting with people just for that. Um, the other thing that we see is that kids that get into video game addiction, I said relationship interfering is that they find that they start losing their friends, needing their friends less, spending less time with their friends. Um, that's one of the warning signs we see is, is when kids just start disconnecting. Um, or every time that they have a conversation, all they want to talk about is their game. And really, they don't want to have a conversation about the game. They want to have a telling about their game. Have you ever noticed that with, with kids in video games? Yeah, they don't want to... Yeah, they just want to kind of vomit out video game information. And that tends to be a relationship disconnector. It's not that those kids, you know, are bad kids or anything. It's just that that's, they become uncomfortable in, in relationships. Um, they try to turn it off. Um, have you ever seen kids playing video games where it gets to the talkie or the narrative part and they just skip, 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 skip because they want to get to the action? And that tends to be how they are in, in real life relationships. Mom needs to just quit talking. You know, or dad just needs to so I can get on with my game. Meal times need to get shorter. You know, those sorts of things happen. So signs of video game addiction, it's not the number of hours that they're playing. This is really important because there's times that people will tell me, you know, my kid's addicted to video games because they played six hours this last Sunday. Okay, so does that mean you're addicted to books? Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you are. Because there's times that you get sucked into something, right? and you just play a puzzle. How many of you have ever had a puzzle started and you just can't stop the puzzle? That doesn't mean you're addicted to puzzles, it just means that you had a day that maybe you played a lot of puzzling. It could get life and relationship interfering, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So hours is not necessarily the clue for it. Do they lie about how much or how long they play? That's much more interesting to me. So if you have a kid that says, you know, I, I played video games for about an hour today. But if you really looked at it, they played for three. That would be, that'd be a significant thing that, that gives me a warning sign that this kid's just not 
aware of, of their time or they're trying to, to minimize it. You know, and both of those things are, are a sign of maybe a compulsion or addiction. Do they try to stop and can't? We hear about kids that are just so tired and they just want to go to bed and so they've been playing video games and they, go to, they turn it off, they go to bed and they're replaying it in their minds and then they just feel like they have it solved and, and if I can't sleep, I might as well go back and play. You know, or they, they have a game that they realize has gotten kind of out of control and they, they try to put it off, but they just can't. That's where, once again, the multiplayer online games get really hard because people are reaching back out to them you know, and getting them back into it. Does it feed into other behavioral issues? And a couple of these kind of tie together, but what we see for a lot of kids in video game addiction is that it starts morphing into this pattern of um, they'll play video games. They meant to study that afternoon, but they're going to play video games before they study, so they start playing the game. Um, they have some fights about um, with the parents about chores, about different things. There's a fight about turning it off, coming to supper. They do that. Um, they sit through worship angrily, you know, with their arms crossed if they're, they're doing that. Um, it's nighttime comes. Um, instead of going to bed, they're playing their game late into the night. And then they have a really hard time sleeping. What we find is that a lot of teenagers don't have what we call sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene is that routine that goes into to falling asleep well. And for most of us, we know that the, especially the modern TVs and screens emit a kind of light that wakes us up, that makes it, stimulates us, and makes it hard to go to sleep. And so if you've had that light within an hour of trying to go to sleep, it, it makes it harder to, to fall asleep. And so these kids have been highly stimulated to the point that they're going to sleep. They have a hard time sleeping, restlessness, possibly dreaming about the games. Um, the next morning, because they played so late into the night, their day starts off with a fight. You know, dad or mom is, is, get up, get up, you're going to be late to school, get up. Um, on their way to school, they get to school, they're tired at school. Um, I don't know about you guys, but if I lose sleep, what do you, what, well, if you knew me, I become really irritable. <laughs> Any of you else become irritable when you lose sleep? Our kids are the same thing. And so you've got a kid at school that hasn't slept well, they're irritable, falling asleep in class, not being able to turn in assignments, having some friendship issues. Um, having a par hard time connecting. Their day doesn't go well at school. They get home. What do they want to do? They want to feel better. And so the cycle starts again, and they start playing the video game, and the day cycle starts, starts going over and over. What we find is that some of the kids have gotten to the point that they can't sleep, and they can sleep during the day, but, but not at night. Yes, please. So he was skipping school to get his sleep so he could play at night. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's not uncommon for, for kids that are really into it. And you might not even know that they're skipping school. Yeah, it's, it's, really, a, it's really a problem. So it feeds into other behavioral issues. There's lying. Um, there's times that it really gets into cheating is that there's a sense of entitlement from some of these, these games is that these games make the kids feel that they're really smart, that they're the smartest kids ever. And so they feel like I don't need to turn in homework. I sh all these rules for these other kids shouldn't apply to me, and so they, they justify cheating. You know, and, and really, it surprises me now. I was at Subway a while back, you know, getting a, a breakfast sandwich, and you know how you have that chit-chat with the person that's making your sandwich? And what she said to me is, oh, I've got a big paper due today. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or buy it. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Why are you telling me this? <laughs> but that really was that, that I don't know if I want to do it or buy it. But the, the sense of cheating and, and some of that stuff with the kids is, is really different now. And the kids that feel highly entitled, highly intelligent, 
will start doing some other stuff like that, cheating, um, copying papers, going online to find the easy, the easy answers so they can keep playing. Um, disrupted life patterns, so that's what I was talking about with the sleep, with the lack of sleep, with the meal times, with all those kind of things that, that gets out of cue. And honestly, with, with Project Patch, one of the more helpful things we do is that we have a daily schedule for those kids. You know, there's a time that they go to bed with lights out, there's meal times that are predictable, they have to drink a certain amount of water every day. We're not health nuts at Patch, but we're really predictable. And so with that simple life pattern change, a lot of kids find a lot of clarity. And what we try to help them do is, is be able to take that simple life pattern back when they go home again. Um, can they get up and do something else fun? What we find is that there's kids that get into video games that they loved going water skiing on a Sunday at the lake. And they get that, we're going to go to the lake. Oh, I can't today because I've got homework to do. Okay, but what do they spend all day doing? Playing the video game. They have friends that say, hey, let's go play basketball. And they don't go. They have activities going on and their life just gets smaller and smaller. And to me, that's just kind of a sadness because there's fun that they want to have, but they just can't pull themselves to it. So transitioning, you feel like I've given you enough information to depress you a little bit. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's raining outside and I've depressed you, but I want to give you some, some tools now because honestly, there's antidotes to it. Once again, the antidote that we're speaking about is, is relationship. Um, I got this email today that I just thought was brilliant from, from Matt Dobschutz. I mentioned him yesterday in our, in our conversation. Matt is the um, founder of, of an organization called Porn Free Radio. It's a, it's a porn-related web um, podcast that comes out every single week for, for people that are, are wanting to quit pornography. But he had this, this quote from a guy named John Hari. And it said, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. So did you catch that? The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And really, that's what we're looking at today is, is how can we reconnect our kids, not from their video game world, but we want to connect them into the human world. And for that, we really have um, some tools that I want to just explore. They're not perfect, but they're just kind of getting our brain going to, to help us with our kids. This works for almost everything that you're dealing with behavioral issues. It applies for some of the pornography stuff that we've done. Um, it'll apply tomorrow for some of the social media. But Henry Cloud in his book, Necessary Endings, really started looking from the Bible perspective. He identified three primary types of people, the wise, the foolish, and what he said was the evil. We're not going to study the evil today because hopefully our kids aren't the evil. Um, but the wise and foolish, we'll take a look at. The wise are ones that take in words and don't procrastinate change. They take in words and they don't procrastinate change. So if you talk to someone that's wise and say, you know, it really seems like you're doing this and I'm really concerned about that. The wise person might not enjoy that conversation, but they'll take in the wisdom from it. Maybe they'll ask some other friends of theirs, but they'll get the wisdom. They'll, they'll search, seek after information that, that leads to wisdom and they'll, they'll make that change as quickly as possible. I'd like to pretend at least that I'm wise. And so if you said, Chuck, you know, when you're giving your seminars, you do this and it's really distracting. And, and I think you'd do a better job if you didn't do that. Do you think I'd enjoy that conversation? Do you think you'd enjoy it? No, but I would hope that I would take as much wisdom from that. And the next time I'm speaking that I'd, I'd make those adjustments. So the wise people learn from words. The foolish people, imagine a foolish person, they're usually highly intelligent. So don't get intelligence and, and foolishness mixed up, okay? 
They're very intelligent, but what they have an ability to do is take, imagine this imaginary racket, tennis racket, and whenever you bring a concern to them, they whack it away and blame someone else. Okay? So if you say something, you say whack, they blame it on dad, they blame it on mom, they hit it back at you, and they're so intelligent that it kind of makes sense. You know, why didn't you do this school problem? Well, you know, the teacher didn't explain it that well, and, and the teacher had said, oh, okay, I could see that happening, right? But what happened just then? Did they take any personal responsibility? No. No, they just deflected. And what you find is that a year later, you could be having the exact same conversation. Maybe minute details change, but it's that same conversation. That's always someone else's fault. It's always your fault. It's always some sort of situation thing's fault. And so the foolish do not respond to wisdom, or they do this. They show a great amount of remorse. Oh, I can't believe I did that. You're so right. And there you go into this big pity remorse thing, but they never change. They procrastinate action steps that would lead to change. So tons of remorse, but no change. And so with the foolish people, words don't work. With the wise, words work. Here's the problem is that most of us are wise, and so we love words, right? We'd much rather have someone come to us with words and, and share their concerns with us. It might not be fun, but it would cause us to, to make change. And so if we love words, what are we going to use with our kids? If they're foolish, what do words do? Nothing. And so with foolish people, words aren't effective. And so what Henry Cloud is saying is stop using words. You can give the basics, really short comments of what the problem is, but after that, they have to learn through consequences. And so it's either natural consequences or you're going to start learning through logical, not logical or natural consequences. Life has to be their teacher. Yes, Scott? Yep, same cloud in Townsend as boundaries. Um, yeah, those, those guys, and, and one of the books I recommended, one of the parents yesterday, Boundaries for Teens, super useful book by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. But Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, is more of a leadership ministry book. I'd recommend if, if you're in any kind of church leadership position, take a look, good look at the book. Really good resource. So foolish people, they have to start learning through boundaries. And here's the thing. Let's just pretend you're a boss of a company and you have a foolish team member that keeps deflecting criticism and and what would you end up doing? Fire them. <laughs> well, hopefully you're first going to see if you can, you can let life teach them. But here's the thing. As, as, as they're, you don't give them your most important jobs. You won't put your company on their shoulders at this point, right? You take away some freedom, some trust, and you're hoping that through the, the, the walls getting tighter that they're going to maybe get a couple bruises that'll teach them. You're not being harsh, but you're, you're using another tool to teach them. Consequences, natural and logical. We'll get through those in just a minute. Um, here's the two things, though, and, and this is really basic, but I think it's a good reminder, is we have the choice most of the time in behavior to do two things, affirmations or consequences. If we see someone do a behavior that's good, that we want repeated, that's when we use affirmations. If we see a behavior that we want to stop, then we start using consequences. And so if you're... Um, Getting ready for dinner, your kids are playing a quick little video game, and you say, hey, it's time to set the table. And you see a kid set down the controller, turn off the game, and run to set the table. Which do you use? Consequences, affirmations? Affirmations. affirmations. Yeah. That doesn't ever happen. Yeah. And that's a struggle, isn't it? But here's the thing, is that often 
parents will say the dumbest things at this point. It's about time you turned off that stupid game. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, it's just not motivating, is it? And so what you wanted to use at that point is an affirmation, and you're totally right. There are times that they just are doing no behaviors that you'd want to, that you'd want to, um, there's just nothing to affirm possibly. But here's the crazy question that I just want to get into our brains. You've got this X, right, that we've talked about all week long, in which you've got a child from no responsibility going up to fully responsibility. You've got a parent at this point does everything. At some point, they can't do it all. And what we're pressing for today is for these kids at 18 years old to own their own off switch, right? Because if they don't own the off switch and you can't own the off switch, then who owns it? The video game owns it, right? And I talk to teens about this and kids about it. It's like, do you want to be owned? You know, or do you own the off switch? Can you turn it off? And so when we're looking for affirmations, we're trying to raise kids that can turn it off, right? We want to raise kids that can um, give precedence to the real world. So people in the room are more important than the electronic people outside of the room. Does that, does that make sense? What else do you see yourself wanting to affirm as far as appropriate video game use? So when you're seeing them make good choices about video game selection, yeah, that's something that you'd love to affirm. Yeah, that's a good one. What else would you like to affirm as a, what sort of behaviors do you want to see your kids doing more, more of when it comes to video games? Time management? Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? So if you say you can play for 30 minutes, you'd love to see them turn it off after 30 minutes without, without a battle. 15, yeah. <laughs> Even five. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good one. So you want to see them be able to, to self-manage their time online. Anything else? Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, and that's a great thing is that you don't... Sneaky behavior for computer use. So, so let's just say your family's got... I've seen families use tokens, you know, in which they have a token for um, video game time. So every day they might have a 15-minute or 30-minute use of, of media. So they can either do... Whatever, you know, depending on the age of the kid. If you see them playing outside of that token time, that'd be a consequence. But when you see them really responding well to that and not sneaking time, that'd be, a, that'd be an affirmation. So those, those kind of go together, don't they? Versus they're just turning it off. Yeah, um, great question. Let's just throw it out there. So the question is, is how do you parents deal with that end of that 30 minutes when they're like, I'm almost done, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. Can you give me another minute? How have you guys handled that? Yes, please. So five minutes before? Okay, so you're, you're giving them that, that instead of tacking it on to the end of 30 minutes, that, that last five minutes is a wrap-up time. Okay, anything else? Yes, please. Yeah, that's the tough one is, is you start forgetting. We use, we use our kitchen timer for all those things because our kids are young enough that when the beeping stop starts, um, that's time to turn it off. And honestly, the, the good times that we affirm it is when the beeping goes off and we don't, and they're coming into the room and putting it away. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's that thing. The, with our older kids, that they'll actually set the timer and they set it accurately and do it and handle that, that process themselves. That's, that's what we're affirming. Yes, please. That's good. So their politeness and, and possibly taking, yeah, so if they've gone long, the next day is shorter. 
And that works great. That drives us crazy as parents, though, trying to track. <laughs> it's like, did they do how many minutes? How? But especially, and here's the manipulative kids. I don't know if you'd have that. Hey, Dad, can I play video games? <laughs> and they've asked Mom, and Mom said no. <laughs> That's not a good one. And honestly, for that, we come down hard on that in our family because we don't want to deal with that triangulation. Yes, please. Yeah, and I think that's the reasonable. I think really getting to the point that, that you have expectations. I like the idea of warnings for kids that are younger. But realizing that your online game, you know, I'm sorry I had to end, but that's the, that's the 30 minutes. That's the 30 minutes. That's the 45, um, depending on the age of the kid. But yeah, I, I agree with you is that, that that's life. We can't, as adults, we can't, we, we have time, time constraints. Yes, please, in the back. Yeah. And so having a timer, having something that they can see, you're trying to raise awareness, right? You're trying to get them understanding time and how time lapses um, is, is really useful. So here's the point that I'm making is that there's a lot of stuff we can affirm, right? For me, one of the things that we affirm is we've just got a we system. We bought it. It's a relationship-rich environment for that. Our kids are, are really close in age. Our little boys got some struggles. And so when we're watching, when they're taking turns playing, that's something that we affirm. When they're helping our little guy with some of the stuff, when they're letting, you know, when they're playing games that he enjoys, those are things that we're affirming. When they are stopping their game to give me eye contact, you know, when I'm asking them something, that's something that I'm affirming. Those are the types of behavior that, that show maturity in, in, in being able to handle the, the game playing. When they lead to arguments, when it leads to whining, when it leads to eye rolling, when the fruit of it is dark, it's going to involve them playing less. And that's, that's how blunt we are. So you've got affirmations, consequences. We'll talk about that just a little bit as we go through. But affirmations are a superpower for parents. Honestly, if you're out here on the, let's just say you're in a lunch line and you say to a kid, wow, you're wearing a red shirt. And, and they're wearing a red shirt. What are they going to do? Yeah, wear it again. If you see them at all on the campus and they're wearing a red shirt, what are they going to do? Show it to you. Have you done any kind of comment about anything as far as the quality of red shirt, whether you like it or not? You haven't done any kind of judgment, right? You've just acknowledged it. And there's power simply in acknowledging stuff. And so affirmations are a huge power. Um, what we say is that your goal is to encourage repeating behavior. This is your tool to try to get them to do something again. That's, that's the purpose behind it. And so when you're giving an affirmation of, hey, you shared or you stopped when I asked you to, that's, that's what you're trying to, to encourage. Don't use empty phrases like good job. And so if you've just turned in a big um, project at work and your boss says, good job, how would you feel? Kind of good, right? Here's the problem is, would you know what to repeat? If they say, you know, you really made a clear case for this, you, you upheld the cases, your numbers were crystal clear, you explained all the numbers really well, and your conclusion was just really accessible, made, made it easy to read and made it really easy for me to share. This was an easy project to approve. You'd have something to work on, right? And so what we try to do is, is don't just do the, try to describe it. Try to describe what they did so that they can repeat it again. So when you say you did a good job playing video games today, you might want to just say, hey, that was really awesome how, how when I asked you to set the table, you just jumped at it, you know, and, and came and helped. I really, really appreciate that. So that's the process you're doing. Yeah, please. 
And that's the real good point. And we, it always has to be true. Always has to be true. And you want to avoid stuff that is puffery. Does that make sense? You want it, you want it to be true. And for that, I think we'll, we'll get into that because the process is really key. What you're trying to affirm is a process that they're going through, not necessarily an outcome. So at, at, on the basketball court at Project Patch, you see a kid that's playing basketball and he takes a hard foul. You see him grit up his fist, turn around like he's going to go after that kid and suddenly do a and walk back and start playing again. What is that a moment to do? Wow, you got hit hard. I saw that you got mad. It makes sense that you'd get mad. And you figured it out. You know, you figured it out how you can be mad without hurting someone. How'd, how'd you do that? You know, so we work into a question and we work into a conversation. And so a lot of times we will pull that aside or you'll comment later. And so it's a process and you're saying what you saw and you're talking less and going into questions. Does that make sense how all that goes together? And so the affirmations is, is he's right, is that if you just give a quick little, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, that doesn't necessarily work. But when you're going into the internal motivation of why they did something that was appropriate, it, it leads to conversation. It leads to, to them doing it again. Um, external to internal, right, is that you have an internal motivation for doing that. You're trying to internalize their respect for people. So in the online world, we're trying to get them to give precedence to the people around them, right? And so for me, I try to, you know, if my phone rings while I'm at the dinner table, um, I do have a bunch of staff that work for me, but I'm really careful not to take other calls. Does that make sense? And even my staff calls, I'm, I'm careful about who I'm taking them from. And it's just because my family at that moment has to know that they're, they're the most important. And so that's the attention that we're doing. And then avoid labels. Labels can be really dangerous. Um, you're smart. Is, is one that actually works opposite for our kids. You're really smart. It sounds complimentary, doesn't it? But it actually might decrease our kids' ability to really try stuff. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, um, it talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. If you're a teacher, you should be reading that book. If you're any kind of Sabbath school teacher, interaction with kids, you should be reading it. If your kids are showing perfectionistic tendencies, you should be reading that book. It's for educators, but it's fantastic. Mindset by Carol Dweck. She's a Stanford psychologist, but what she's looking at is that labels tend to put a ceiling on stuff, where a growth mindset says, I can always improve somewhat. Let me give you an example. A label that I've given myself is for a long time is, Chuck, you're not good with names. You can't learn names. So guess what I do when someone introduces themselves? I wouldn't even try. I wouldn't even pay attention to it. Honestly, I'd, I'd zone out. And so what I've realized is I'm still not natural at names, but I can improve, right? And so each one of us has areas probably that we've got fixed mindset, growth mindset. Um, for pictures, this is a good example, is that you're a really good artist. That actually decreases a kid's experimentation with, with learning how to be an artist. Seems weird, doesn't it? But if you tell a kid, wow, it looks like you had a lot of fun drawing. Can you tell me why you chose those shapes? That's the process. Oh, it looks like you experimented with shading. Can you tell me how you did that? And they'll start explaining the picture. You chose lots of bright colors or you chose some dark colors. That process gets them experimenting more. If they say you're a good artist, then they feel fear of, of what if the picture's not good. For math kids, you're really good at math because you did that really fast. <laughs> uh, what happens when the math problem's not fast? Does that mean they're not good at math? You really stuck with it when you worked on that math problem. You tried different things to solve it, and you checked your answer. 
you know, it really looks like you're working hard on your math and it's showing. Does that, does that sound like a response that would increase the activities that you want, right? And so when you're doing affirmations on video games, it looked like you really wanted to keep playing, you, you wanted to finish that level, but you really responded when I told you it's time to stop. That's the affirmation that, that helps. And once again, that's what we're shooting for is not kids that need us to turn it off, what kids that can turn it off themselves. So natural consequences are the easiest thing for us parents. I love natural consequences. So if you've got a kid that is, it's winter time and it's cold outside and drizzly and rainy, which I guess you guys is windy and freezing ice, <laughs> sorry. They go outside with no coat, no shoes. Do you have to, as a parent that night, sneak into the room with a cotton swab full of germs and brush it under their nose to teach them not to do that again? <laughs> it's just natural, right? The consequence, you don't have to do anything as a parent. You take no creativity. It just, it just happens. And so for a kid that is playing in traffic, do you have to drive the car into them? I hope not. That's a good example of, of it just being too harsh. Natural consequences don't take any parent guidance, but they really can be too harsh. The other thing that we find out about natural consequences is that they're a great teacher, but there's times that there's too much of a gap between when they do the behavior to when they, they pay for it. So um, sexuality, we talked about that yesterday. So for a kid that's engaged in um, porno pornography, masturbation, and, and just that pursuit of orgasm, for those PMO kids, at that point, are they going to be feeling the, the negative consequences of it? Probably not too much, but years from then, when they're trying to be in a covenant relationship and faithfulness and, and enter into God's model of sexuality, is that going to interfere? It's going to be a huge problem. But here's the thing is that time has so far been, been between them that they might not be able to make that connection or the correction. And so for electronic stuff, I find that other than letting batteries run out, it's hard to find logical, I mean, natural consequences that, that really help our kids. I'm sure there's some out there. Um, poor grades tends to be a, a natural consequence for some of these things. But as a parent, that's hard too because, you know, if our kid's failing out of school in the eighth grade, that's, that's ne not necessarily their choice. Does, does that make sense? That's something we want to prevent. So natural consequences are fantastic for us parents, but in a lot of times, they just don't, don't tend to work in ways that we need them to. Logical consequences, this is where parents have to be creative, where you have to find some sort of thing that'll teach them. And what you're trying to do is not punish them. Punishment is trying to inflict pain, right? I want you to feel the same kind of pain or fear or frustration that I felt. Discipline is that process of saying, I want you to learn. I want you to improve. I don't want this to be a part of your life. And so you're trying to get them to start making connections. And so what you have to do is, is you have to think about something and it can easily become punishment. I don't know about you guys, but have you discovered that taking cell phones away from kids really irritates them, <laughs> right? No, no cell phone for a week. Okay, that can be fine, but if that's your only discipline that you use, it starts lacking the connection. To, to actually teaching them something. So several, quite a few years ago, these, these kids, we're on a river in Idaho, a, a raging whitewater river. It's a beautiful river, but right on our campus right there, some kids stole a canoe to run away. So a group of boys did that. They got down the river a little ways, crashed the canoe into a rock, and then there was a big ravine back up to the road. And when the staff you know, got to them, they, the staff had a pickup truck and the boys were, were um, 
down at the bottom. It probably took them 20 minutes for them to scramble up just to the pickup truck. And so when they get there, um, the staff took them back, got them dry clothes, all those kind of things, and then took them back to the river to go get the canoe. And so the boys hauled that canoe all the way up the hillside, and then they were ready to put it into the truck. And the staff said, you know, how'd the, how'd the canoe get down here? <laughs> you know, it didn't come in the truck. And so the, in a way, it's a natural consequence, but in a way, it's that logical consequence is you, you'll carry it back. You know, so those boys carried it back about five miles, and it was a, you know, it was a tough thing for them to do, but that's the kind of ways, if I do this, I have to repair it. I have to make, there's consequences to things, and so I have to, I have to go through the work of it. Yes, please. Yours is the only house that has problems with that. <laughs> you're, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, you know, that's the, that's the pain about it is that, it, here's the thing is that we talked about the brain in early days is that when our lid is flipped as parents, how's our thinking going? It's, it's not. And so at that point, we tend to be telling our kids, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And we don't even remember what we told them. Right? And so what we have to say is that, that this has to come in a calm brain. And for some reason, for us as parents, we really want to get to that winning point where I feel like I am in control again. And so we end up rushing into discipline. And what I say often is, you know, I just, I can't respond right now in a way that's going to help you. I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm just feeling really confused about how I can help you learn. And so I'm going to take some time. I'm going to go think about it for an hour or I'm going to, I'm going to um, talk with some friends or I'm going to talk with mom about it, you know, that sort of thing. Mom and I always talk about discipline, but that's the thing that I'm saying is I'm going to take some time and I want you to take some time, you know, and we're not going to talk right now because neither of us are going to help the situation. Go get the brain, get the frontal lobe back down. Um, there might be some tools that we can use. We actually, through our family experience, teach some tools about discipline and coming up with it, but you're trying to re-engage the brain. When you meet together, Often the kid's going to have a solution, two or three things. You might say, I'm going to work on two or three things. You work on a couple things. They're going to come up with some pretty harsh things, and you can start amending those. Um, but I say time is really in your favor. Use it. It's rare that you have to discipline instantaneously. There are times with our kids that they're doing a safety type thing that we need to get them back safe. But typically, we're just trying to get that, that brain going. You know, or let's take a walk. Let's go do something back there, and then we'll we'll come over here. Yes, please. Yeah, we do. We have to be careful with our words, don't we? Yeah. And that that is the point that as parents we can get so frustrated that we will say stuff like, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're not going to go on our vacation because of you." Seriously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, who's suffering then? You know, and so yeah, you, good good point. I think I was coming right back here. Yeah, that's, that's a good example is, is you, you prepared him at the time, he, he didn't respect it, but he had resources when he needed it or he had information when he needed it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, you know, from a speaking point, as I do talk a lot to parents, but I love talking to teens too, just because I think there's times that teens just need, need someone that's not judging them, realizing that this is a, a new environment that they're dealing with. Honestly, for us as parents, we probably would have been addicted to some of this stuff too because it's designed that way. You know, it's designed to be that way. And so, so it's not unusual for them to struggle, but there are resources to help them through it. Yeah, we've got a couple more questions and then I've got to keep flying. Oh, good question. So technology as a ward versus schedule activity. Um, I think as a whole, kids benefit the most when it's a predictable environment. I think kids like having something that they can plan on. 
And so we've seen a lot of success around that idea. As kids get older, I do like to see them starting to have a little bit more input into when and, and how or what. And so we talked about the token system. That's useful as kids start getting older to be able to say, I choose to watch a video game, or I, I mean, I choose to play a video game, or I choose to watch um, this sports thing or this TV thing, or I, they can make a little bit more choice around what they're doing, which I think helps us get to this point where they are owning the results of it. Um, so that, that aspect works. I do think that, that there's times that it's just fun to have grace, you know, um, and so surprising our kids with, with something that they enjoy doing, I don't think it's a problem is, hey, you know, I really appreciated how you worked in the yard all day with me. You know, you just showed a lot of, a lot of work. You're probably tired. Why don't you go play for, for 30 minutes? I'll give you an extra 30 minutes today. You know, that sort of thing is just realizing that our, it can be a fun and healthy thing or it can be a, a mess. Um, so logical consequences, this is hard. What I will say, once again, time, time, time is, is probably the best thing that you have. Um, talking with your friends, creating conversations around it. You know, if anything, you've got a room full of people here that, that you know, hopefully you've connected with some people here that are raising kids similar ages to you. Um, use that time. If you're at the junior tent waiting to pick up your kids, make connections with parents um, because a lot of times they'll have perspective that's just really helpful. Um, create feedback loops. This is something I actually teach kids to do as much as possible. This is an experience that I was getting my master's at Boise State University in business. And so I traveled four days a week, an hour and a half each way from Garden Valley to, to Boise State. And so afternoons I travel in or noon and I do my, I was a graduate assistant. So I worked in the MIS department with the computer um, students. And then I'd go to class from about six until almost 10 o'clock. And then I'd get in the car and drive back up to, to Idaho, to Garden Valley. So that's a, that's a lot of driving, right? Guess what's on the radio in Idaho at night? Talk radio. Political talk radio. And what I discovered for me is that I could leave class happy, connected. I loved class. I loved the people. And when I got home, I was a jerk to my wife. Honestly, I was mean to her. And I couldn't figure out how the person that got in the car happy that got out of the car being a jerk. And what I realized for me, and I'm not going to judge you, but for me, Political talk radio, no matter what the you know, spectrum is, doesn't have a fruit of kindness in my life. And that took way too long for me to discover. I mean, honestly, it took me way too long to discover that. And so I replaced that with different things, listening to music. Um, I listened to audiobooks. I that that point, podcasts weren't going, but I've replaced that sort of thing with positive things. So now when I travel, I'm really careful with what I listen to at home. I do books on tape. I have an Audible subscription. I fill my mind with things that have fruits of me having positive connection. What I ask kids to do is when they sit down to play a video game, write down how long they plan on playing and how they hope to feel when they're done. I'm going to play for 30 minutes. I hope to feel relaxed when I'm done or I hope to have this experience as I play. Does, does that make sense? This is my intention. And then when they quit playing is just really quickly write down how do you now feel? Did you accomplish that? You know, most of us as adults would probably benefit from the same thing, right? I'm gonna sit down and watch Netflix for 30 minutes. How do I ho hope to feel when I'm done? What's my expectation Did I meet that? And the reason I ask is that a lot of kids are, are, are in this video game world and they're not necessarily, they have these hopes and desires, 
but they're not sensitive enough to realize, is this the best way of reaching those? I hope to accomplish something. I hope to finish this level. I hope to whatever. Did you, did you get it? You know, there's an interesting verse, um, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read a bunch of it to you, but I think it's just, to me, it's, it's hopefully gets our, our brains going a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, reading out of the NIV, it says, So I tell you this, and insist upon it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality um, so as, as to indulge in every kind of impurity with their continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life that put off your old self, which is being corrupt by the sinful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So as to put on the new self created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that battle that's going on? The corrupted, that idea of our minds just being that indulging mode compared to that new creation mode. That idea of instead of, of, of being on a downward slide in our life that we're actually climbing something. You know, and so for, for parents, I, I recognize that you're in a, a battle for your kids in, in so many different ways. But I invite you to use the tools that, that bring life. Powerful relationships. A God that isn't um, condemning them, but is actually saving them. You know, a God that understands that as human beings, we have this corrupted desires that, that take us down, but a God that doesn't leave us as that. You know, and honestly, when we started this thing, we're talking about kids that are addicted, right? Their brains are wired into these, these things. And, and to recognize that God is in the renewal of the mind business. You know, there's no mind that he, can't, that he can't influence that way. But there's times that we really have to get to the point that we're stopping the other negative stuff that's coming in. So for you parents, this is a, an area of, of a lot of wisdom, a lot of patience. Um, I will tell you that, that simply saying, I'm not going to let my kid play video games is not going to be the answer. As a scare thing to finish the day with is that, as you realize that college statistics right now is that there's same statistics of boys and girls going to college as there ever has been, but the number of boys that are completing college has, has plummeted while the girls has, has actually increased. I've talked to, to college deans um, from admin schools, um, non-administ universities, anyone that I can find that way, and, and what they're saying is that, that college boys are being decimated by video games. And a lot of it is because mom's not making them turn it off. You know, so what can we do in this world in which the reality is, is that there's some good from video games, there's a lot of negative, but our kids need to, regardless if you have a device or not, they need to know how to turn it off. You know, they need to know how to turn it off. So that's my prayer for you guys. I'm going to go ahead and, and close up here. Um, today was a video game antidote. Tomorrow is disconnected in a connected world. And so the social media, we'll talk about some phone use and take a bunch of questions also. Let me pray for you and, and we'll end our, end our time together. Father, we just thank you for all the blessings this morning. Um, heavy topic, realizing that, that we feel so inadequate because we're coming against something that's designed to trap our kids. 
um, that we're coming up against something that has um, way more resources and in time and and um, but at the same time father you have all the resources you have all the power you have all the might um you have um the power to set free and, and so father we we trust you and your resources we pray for your wisdom and your guidance father we pray for for patience um, we pray that the fruit of, of your spirit might be reflected in our lives so that our kids might desire it in ways that, that the video games can never provide. Most of all, Father, I just ask for moments of connection, um, for connection between parents and kids, and, and more than that, just parents and parents here being able to connect and be a support to one another, um, that this battle won't be fought in isolation. And so we just praise you for that, for providing more than we need today in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.